Hello there. I'm delighted to say that this is the third season of What About You? This series focuses on people who have been wrongly convicted. If you think you have a story that fits with this theme, please contact me on richard at whataboutyou.co.uk. Hello, I'm Richard Moore, and you're welcome to the third series of What About You? Over the next few episodes, you'll hear the story of Sonny Jacob. In 1976, Sonny was a young mother of two children, Christina and Eric, when she was arrested along with her partner, Jesse Taffero, for the murder of two policemen. They were charged, convicted, and sentenced to death. After 17 years in prison, Sonny was released an innocent woman. But sadly, that was already too late for her partner, Jesse Taffero, who was executed by electric chair a few years earlier. In this episode, Jessica talks about that night in 1976, when herself, her partner Jesse, and her two young children, Christina and Eric, were taken hostage by Walter Rhodes and then subsequently arrested by the police. How an incredible miscarriage of justice unfolded and the enormous impact it had on her, her children and her family. So he just overruled them and sentenced me to death anyway. Evidence was hidden and we went to trial. We were tried, convicted and ultimately sentenced to death. The suffering that this caused, not just for me, not just for Jesse, but to the children, to my parents, they were devastated. Sonny, on the night that you were arrested, you were out in the car. Could you tell me or describe what was happening? Oh, well, we were we were just being driven from one place yeah. to the other. There was no crime being committed. We, um, the, Me and the children were in the back. Jesse was in the passenger seat. His friend was driving. And um, we pulled into a rest area because by the time, they didn't just take us straight to the next place we were going to wait. He was trying to raise some money or borrow money or whatever. So we stopped in different other people's places to see if he could get some money. And um, in so doing, it got late. So it was too late to, to go to the other people's house. So we pulled in to a rest area on the freeway there to just to wait until a proper decent hour. And it was while we were there sleeping that the police came to do a routine check. And um, that's when the whole thing happened. Because I guess, now I can't say what was in the man's mind, uh, you know, but uh, I guess he was afraid they were going to take him in, you know, and find out that he also was on parole and he had firearms. And that would be a violation of his parole. So he, I guess, became desperate. And that's when it all happened. And then he ended up, taking us hostage. Yeah. So just, he took you hostage? Yeah, because after he shot the policeman, he had the gun in his hand and he ordered Jesse to take us out of the car we were in and put us in the police car. I don't know why he made that decision either. But, um, so, he put they put us in the back of the police car, me and the kids, 
And again, Jesse was in the front seat with him and he drove us off in the police car. And um, that's when we became hostages of his because I didn't want to go with him. Yeah. But Jesse said, I asked Jesse, I said, can't we just be left here? And he can go or you can go with him or whatever. And he said, no, because we just, we're witnesses. And if we don't go with him, he might kill us right here. So we go with him. And then at some point we look for a way to get away from him. So that's how we ended up in the police car with him. And there, we, when they made a stop, I thought, oh, good. I can get out with the kids now and get away. But you can't open the back doors of a police car from the inside. It's a, like child lock. Yeah. So we were trapped. We were just trapped. He had the gun. You know, you can't refuse somebody who's pointing a gun at you. So, so you're obviously, it's obviously a frightening experience and you were pulled in or stopped by the, the next police patrol, let's say. And that was there a period of negotiation then or did they just, did, were you released right away? We weren't released, ever. Well, that's true. I mean, no, I mean by the by Walter. Sorry, did he keep peace for a while, or was it over in an instance? Again, this isn't the part that I think is very inspiring. But no. um, there was a roadblock. They opened fire on the car. We, again, we were subjected to gunfire. Again, I covered the children, which is your instinct to do. Uh, we crashed. The police surrounded the car, and we were all taken taken into yeah. custody. And okay. then uh, he was taken to the hospital because the, the driver was the only person who was actually injured. And uh, we were taken in um, by to the police station and um, then uh, he made his deal from his hospital bed and uh, we were uh, held and questioned for many hours until uh, finally and, and the, one of the funny, well it's not funny but I asked for my phone call. Everybody knows from watching TV that you're entitled to a phone call if you're yeah. arrested. And they weren't, they wouldn't listen to me when I said I had nothing to do with what happened. And I actually, I wasn't, I, I didn't actually see what happened. Uh, <clears throat> it was just sort of the, <clears throat> the guns fire and I, I covered the kids. So I really didn't, I wasn't looking at it like it was a movie. I was covering the kids and hoping we wouldn't be killed. So I didn't really see everything that happened, and they didn't believe me. So um, anyway, uh, finally a lawyer came. Uh, I got my phone call way later. So when you asked to make your phone call, what did they say? They told me, oh yeah, so I asked for my phone call, and they said, um, uh, that's just on television. Actually, we can hold you for 72 hours without giving you a phone call, and by then we could lose you in the basement. And by then I knew they could do anything they wanted. Mm. Nobody even knew where I was. Wow. A lawyer had been looking for me all day. All day because 
this was big news on the TV and radio, and my friends heard my name in connection to this thing. So um, they called a lawyer, and whenever he tried to find me, he was told they didn't know where I was. So when all this was happening, where was your children? I was told that they would be taken care of by social services until I could get this straightened out. But instead, they were being fingerprinted and dusted for gunfire and held. And my daughter was given over to some people that I wasn't allowed to know who they were or where she was. My son, um, was held in custody and then taken to juvenile detention center at the age of nine and held in communicado and taken in handcuffs, handcuffed behind his back without representation to be questioned over and over again. He was so traumatized by the way he was treated for two months. They would not release my son for two months until finally my parents convinced the judge to let them, uh, you know, uh, Let him go. Take custody of him. Yeah. Uh, and um, he was so traumatized by the treatment that he'd received that um, he had to be put into special school and he couldn't remember how to read or to do maths, all the things we used to do together. So it was emotional. And um, it, to this day, if he gets um, nervous or has to deal with authorities, it affects his uh, speech. So it was pretty horrible. Yeah. My daughter, um, we couldn't be in contact with whoever was holding her as a 10-month-old baby who had been nursing at the time. So she didn't know how to drink a bottle. She used, was breastfed. And so they, didn't know, they thought something was wrong with her. And God only knows what they did with her. I never was able to find that out. My God. So, um, I mean, the suffering that this caused not just for me, not just for Jesse, but to the children, to my parents. They were devastated. And anybody else who cared about us, friends, my brother, everybody. So it was really a, a terrible, terrible time and something for which we were absolutely unprepared because up until then, we believed in truth, justice, and the American way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we believed all that. Superman was going to come in and save me. Um, and and we, we then realized, and then we were appointed lawyers who really didn't represent us properly. Evidence was hidden. Uh, the fact that they knew from the before we even went to trial that they were making the deal with the real killer. I mean, all this they knew in advance, and yet all this was hidden, and we went to trial, and mostly based on his testimony, because there was no physical evidence against either of us, we were tried, convicted, and ultimately sentenced to death. He went to death row um, in the men's prison, and at the time there were no other women sentenced to death, so I was sent to the women's maximum security prison where they uh, cleared out um, a separate building from the rest of the prison 
that they would use for disciplinary purposes in case there had been a riot or something. And that was my personal death row. So all during that time, you thought justice is going to prevail, you know, before they actually went to court. Did yes. you believe you were going yeah, to? Yeah, I had no doubt. In fact, um, my parents asked me, do you want us to put up our house, you know, to get money to get you a, a lawyer? And I said, no, of course not. Why would you do that? I, I'm, I'm innocent. They appointed me a lawyer. That should be enough. And the lawyer said to me, um, you don't have to, we're not going to put up a defense because that gives me the better position in the closing arguments. And th there's nothing against you, so that would be the thing to do rather than give them a chance to try to manipulate things and whatever. We'll just um, uh, leave it without a defense and um, then I'll get the best position in the closing argument, which is very important to impress the jury and there's nothing to worry about. And I didn't think there should be anything to worry about. Yeah, uh, and um, so that's how I went to court. Uh, Jesse was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death in four days. And when, when were you sentenced then? Was it shortly after that? And then my trial came shortly after that. But my trial took longer because I was a young mother and uh, a hippie and a vegetarian. And I didn't have a criminal record like he did. I had not been in trouble like him you know, and there was no violence in my life. So um, it was harder for them to do what they did to him. Uh, so how did you receive all that when you heard about Jesse first and then yourself been sentenced to the death penalty? Like, uh, I think I would have collapsed in court, to be honest, you know. Well, when I, after the first week, when I realized that my lawyer was not doing anything for me and he wouldn't explain anything to me, so I had to write everything down. He said, don't, don't interrupt by asking questions. You know, like, cannot, can't we just say he's lying? Or what about, shouldn't we have expert witnesses? Or, you know, I started realizing that things weren't the way I, the ideal way that I thought they were supposed to be. Yeah. And um, um, then, in the beginning, of the, I think it was beginning of the second week, end of the first week, beginning of the second week, they realized that things weren't going as easily against me as they thought. So they found, they, the prosecutor uh, sent his, one of, I guess some of his men to find somebody else in the women's jail that would be willing to help them to convict me. So they found this young woman who was a college student who had been arrested with her boyfriend for some minor drugs charge, like some, I don't remember, some pills. And they had done like fake prescriptions and he would be in a phone booth and they'd call up the number and it would be him saying, oh yes, oh, that's right, I'm the doctor, you can, whatever. <laughs> and um, some scheme. And so they had been arrested and they approached her because she had been put into the same cell block as I had been in. Oh, like for night and anyway um, she came to court and she testified that in the one night that she was in there that I we talked and that I told her that I did it and I enjoyed it and I do it again and I thought that's so ridiculous I mean nobody's gonna believe that nobody would do that so she came into court and testified and uh, 
And in return, which we didn't know, in return, she was promised that she and her boyfriend would be freed the following day. And if she didn't do it, her life would be ruined. She'd go to prison for a long, long time and never get to go back to university. My so, God. No brainer for her. Yeah. She came in. She did her thing. She and her boyfriend were released the next day. They kept their word about that. So as simple as that. Nobody questioned it. Everybody just believed it. My, ju my jury, my jurors were not totally convinced. And so they started asking questions of the judge. They, I, I, I don't remember what exactly the questions were, but it was about um, could they possibly consider um, a charge of a lesser, a lesser kind of charge, like maybe just uh, an associate or something, yeah. or um, uh, you know, what were their choices and and what was the law about the whole thing? And um, it was as a result of the judge's explanation of the law at that time that they felt that they had no uh, other choices but to convict. Now, I should add here that the judge had been a policeman, a highway patrolman, before he was a judge. And we had asked him to step down from the case, from all three cases he was lucky enough to get all three, um, because he could not possibly be... Um, objective. Yeah. Yes, objective in a case that involved policemen. Because once you're part of the Brotherhood, you're part of it forever, for life. But he refused to step down. So it was his explanation of the law that made them feel they had no, no other option to convict according to what he said. But they weren't comfortable uh, with the death penalty. Now, in those days, you were supposed to be unanimous, the juror, jury, um, in order to give a death penalty. Otherwise... It was there were only two choices, life or death. And uh, so one juror held out among the others. And I know all this because when all was over and I was released, he came to find me to apologize for what had happened to me. And he told me that um, when they were deliberating, they were pressuring him to just agree. Just agree. You know, we, we all be unanimous. Give her the death penalty. And number one, we can just go home because they've been sequestered for two weeks and they wanted to go home. They were tired. They were hungry. Number two, they uh, I had been writing, all doing the trial, writing my questions because my lawyer never answered my questions. And we came when he'd come back, after the lunch break, he smelled like he'd been drinking. Drinking, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's apparently not so uncommon as it should be. Uh, but anyway, and then, um, so they thought I was going to write a, uh, a book about the crime and make money from it. And the third reason they wanted to sentence him to agree to sentence me to death was because they wanted to make an example of a woman. That if you come to the state of Florida and you kill somebody, you're going to electric chair. And, and even even if you're a woman. And those were the reasons they wanted him to agree, and he wouldn't. And he stood up for his own principles, thank God for him, and he actually ultimately ended up saving my life because uh, by not agreeing, the jury couldn't sentence me to death, so they sentenced me to life. But the judge overruled them and sentenced me to death anyway.
Oh my God, that's just unbelievable. I, I didn't think a judge could do that. They could in those days do that if they gave a proper legal written reason for so doing, but he didn't because he didn't have one. So he just overruled them and sentenced me to death anyway. Thank you for listening to this episode of What About You? Coming up in the next episode. They didn't even know what to do with me because there was no women's death row. As their footsteps faded, receded down the hallway, it, it became more and more profound what had really happened to me. I would never see anybody again. And they could just come in and kill me anytime. All I did was pace back and forth. There was only six steps between the door, solid metal door, and the toilet facility. Six steps. And they might have all the power to keep me there and do whatever, but, but they don't say when I die. And that, in that moment, I gained back power over my own life again. Thank you again for listening to What About You. My thanks to Ursulimer and Enyamur. Without your help, this podcast would simply not happen. Also, a big thanks to Joe Murray from Afri in Dublin. Joe introduced me to Sonny Jacob, so thanks very much, Joe. And finally, a big thank you to Sonny. You're such an inspirational and incredible woman. <laughs>